Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, over recent weeks, um, you may have caught on to the th- caught on to the theme that we're talking about divine sequences. Pastor James and I have been sharing a little bit about that over the last probably six weeks now, and uh, it's interesting when people hear from God and obey what God does. There's a domino effect that takes place, and it's generally very positive. Um, it's like a chain reaction that will take place, and um, as we listen to God's word and obey God's word as we listen to him directly, anything could happen and anything will happen. And when I was sharing last time, I talked about a cutting-edge church. And a cutting-edge church is one that obviously um, looks to God, listens to God, obeys and does what he tells them to do. And we look in the Bible and we just see the dynamics of a cutting-edge church. And I gave an illustration of a cutthroat razor. Arwen, um, who's a barber, brought out cutthroat uh, razor to the fore, and uh, he gave an example of the sharpness of a cutting-edge uh, razor blade. The reality is most men, probably women if they do their legs, actually uses a Gillette or a Schick razor, and they normally use a safety razor, and a safety razor works, but it's not got the same um, cutting edge as uh, the cutthroat razor, and the thing is, cutting-edge churches can't afford to play it safe. We've got to be on the leading edge. We've got to take a few risks. And, um, and as we've gone through the sequence um, series this year, it started off with a good foundation, and that's the church of the New Testament, the church of the book of Acts. And we saw that this church was devoted to God. They, they came together. They loved gathering together, the fellowship of believers. They were devoted to the Bible. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were also very diligent about prayer. They focused on prayer. And also the breaking of bread, communion. Just pillars in the, in the, in the church that were never compromised on. They, they prioritized those things as far as a fellowship was concerned. But the thing is, they always listened and they always looked to God for direction and guidance in what they did. Nothing has changed. And as believers today, as a church, we listen to God's directive, we do what he's asking us to do. This is why we're doing church plants um, in Fiji and Huapai. It's part of being compliant with the Holy Spirit. Interesting in the prophetic words that came this morning, it was about God's timing, God's sequence. And I just sensed this morning, there's a sense of divine timing going on in many people's lives where we want to do things quickly, but God's saying, hang on, I've got a better sequence for you. You know, um, Jesus died, he went to heaven. Why did the church have to wait 40 days for the Holy Spirit to come? You know, Jesus could have gone straight up to heaven. He could have unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit immediately. But he had to wait. The church had to wait 40 days before the Holy Spirit descended upon the church. So I just sense that the God's timing is critical um, for your life. As we listen to him, look to him, and we slip into his time sequence things will just uh, really be triggered um, in a perfect way. You know, a baby in a womb can't be delivered too early because if it is delivered too early, it's malformed. It's not, it's not going to be a healthy child. And it's the same with us. We've got to wait for God's timing. 
thing is, as we wait, in the book of Acts, we talked about this in the Cutting Edge Church, um, next slide there, Sam. They waited for the, the Holy Spirit to descend upon them. They stayed until they were clothed with the Holy Spirit's power. But more importantly, they didn't leave the upper room or Jerusalem until they had the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. Basic keys for a cutting-edge dynamic church. Well, this morning, if you're taking notes, I'm talking about not, not so much a cutting-edge church, but cutting-edge people, individuals that were cutting-edge in what they did. And Paul the Apostle, he wanted not the church, but the people within his church to be on the cutting-edge, leading-edge individuals doing radical, crazy, uh, good things in God. But he underscored the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this in Ephesians 5 verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here is Paul. He goes to a church called um, Ephesus. He's doing church planning there. And he goes away and he's starting all these other churches. But he sends this letter coaching the church how to do church better. And he said, guys, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then also he goes on, he, he underscores this, he says this in Ephesians 4 verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So he understands that the church is hearing from God, they're getting clear instructions from God to do certain things, but at the same time he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's basically a, a politically correct way of saying, do as he tells you to do. No, don't do your own thing. Listen to the God's directive and do what he does. Because if you don't do what he does, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. And when he was writing to the, coaching this letter to the book in Thessalonica, he says this, don't quench the Holy Spirit. So grieving and quenching is pretty much the same thing. Quenching is basically pouring water over a fire. You douse that. And so if we don't do what God calls us to do, it's like pouring water upon us and we, we quench the Holy Spirit and the fire within us can actually be um, put out. So we've got to hear, listen, obey and do. The reality is we're all sinners. We aren't going to get it right all the time. We're not perfect. If you look in a mirror in the morning or at night or during any time, a mirror doesn't lie. It tells you what you like when you look in the mirror. Um, I know lots of girls spend more time in the mirror looking in, in the mirrors. To, uh, <laughs> whatever. But that's a, that's a fact of life, you know. Um, maybe they've got to take it more in, I don't know. But the reality is he makes everything beautiful in its own time. Some of us are more of a work in progress. He's, he's spending more work making us beautiful. But the thing is, none of us are perfect. We all err, we go off the mark. But as we try and tune ourselves to the Holy Spirit... We're going to get caught up in a, in a dynamic that can change the world, change so many things for many people. You know, it says this in Romans uh, 3, verse 23, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, sadly, are perfect. But the Holy Spirit is working in our life, getting rid of all the spots and wrinkles and all the, um, the carnalness perfecting us. Because the Lord's coming back for a bride that's perfected and there's a work in progress going on but the thing is if we're not going to listen to the Holy Spirit if we're going to disobey his instructions we're going to quench him we're going to grieve him you know sometimes it just comes back to common logic you know I get really frustrated when I see people who just want to be spoon-fed they don't grow up they don't learn to read the Bible on a on a daily basis you know, if they, they think regular Bible reading is every six months when I'm in a crisis, I'll read the Bible. That's crazy. We've got to learn to live in the Word of God. 
I get really frustrated when I look at young people and older people doing inappropriate things with sexual behaviour. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown at people through social media, through um, movies, through Hollywood, um, and even through our own TV system like with uh, Shortland Street. You've got all this fornication and all the sleeping around going on. That's wrong. And we've got people in our churches that tend to do that sort of stuff, and it's not a biblical value. That's not obeying the Holy Spirit. Some people don't even know what fornication is. You know, basically it's having sex without marriage, outside, of the, uh, outside marriage. We haven't got a church that's been educated globally about morality. It's gone, it's gone off in a wrong direction, sadly. Um, people in church, sadly, use drugs. You know, we need medication, like antibiotics and, and stuff to keep our heart in rhythm and all that sort of stuff. It's wise we've got to do that. But when you're going to have meths and marijuana and all this other garbage which affects your body and affects your brain, that's just dumb. That's not having godly value. That's not listening to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, people waste time doing dumb things, you know, computer games and things like that. It dulls the senses of your spirit. You know, you, people say, why are people so sharp in the prophetic? Well, they want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They don't start to dilute their mind by looking at this junk on TVs or computer cro programs which actually distort that frequency. We just got to get things right. The thing is, cutting-edge church will always do things in God's timing. Say to the person next to you, do things in God's timing. Because if you do, if you do things in God's timing, there's going to be um, a perfect response. There's going to be a synchronization, a synchronization with what God is doing. Um, who likes Auckland traffic? Oh yeah, you liars. <laughs> no one likes Auckland traffic. Um, once upon a time on the North Shore, there was one set of traffic lights in um, Hunter's Corner and Takapuna. Now there's traffic lights everywhere. One of the banes of my life, not just Auckland traffic, is sitting in queues at traffic lights. You know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And it's like, you wait, you wait, and then there's a green, and then all of a sudden it's like for a nanosecond, like one car gets through or two cars get through, you know. Um, that's timing, you know, but timing, God puts traffic lights there for a reason. And I think there's a lot of traffic lights in our lives, godly placed, because he's waiting for the synchronization to go on, like Armitage talked about selling a house. God's timing is perfect. He's setting things up so the price is right, all those things. Um, I hate sitting in queues. Go grocery shopping. Um, I don't like shopping at the best of time. It's like in and out gone, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man, when it comes to shopping. But when I go to pack and save, why is it that I've got the slowest checkout check operator doing everything, doing everything, and she wants to talk about the weather, and, you know, and I'm sort of four queues, four people down, and it's like, you know, why, you know, um, you know, they say patience is a virtue, because if you can, seldom found a woman, but always in a man. God, God is working. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. But the thing is, God's timing is perfect. Um, you get off a plane and you want to get home or you want to get on to, uh, to where you need to be and you go through customs and the, and the queue just seems to wander for miles, you know, and everyone doesn't stride forward, they just inch forward, you know. That is frustration for me. 
Or you think, okay, I've flown somewhere and I'm just about to land and I can get off the plane and I can go and do what I need to do. And you, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. Uh, we've been told to hold for another five minutes. Um, and, and, and it's not just five minutes. Like, it could be an hour, an hour and a half later, while this plane is still orbiting. It's in this holding sequence. And then they finally land. You know, Chris and I went to London once, and I think we waited over an hour and a half just orbiting London first thing in the morning after a, an incredibly long flight um, before the plane can land. You know, frustration to the max. I was in, uh, land, going from Pontianak to Sintang in Indonesia one year, and the plane had just about to land, and it was coming down. It was about 10 metres off the ground, and then the cabin uh, just took a vertical sort of uh, incline, and the captain said, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we have to um, go, go around again. And so 35 minutes later, the plane lands, or tried to land, and took off again. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we had to... Um, uh, to leave and, and do, do this uh, landing sequence again. It tried three times and the captain said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to go to Pontianak and refuel, we can't land. We got back to Pontianak, loaded more fuel, couldn't get off the plane, finally came back. You know, a 40 minute flight ended up taking four hours. It was crazy. Frustration, you know, why was this? Thing is, God puts things into our life to give us patience. And I just sense in the, uh, the auditorium today and even online, there are people in this divine holding pattern of God where things have been set up, where there's a process going on, where God's perfect timing has been put in places. We're just so used to living in instant society where we, we push a button on a microwave and things are cooked really, really quick. You know, we have instant soup and instant noodles. We have all that sort of stuff. It works and it's good. Who likes instant coffee? Just one or two people. Who likes real coffee? Real coffee takes a little bit of time to process. Um, the thing is, it's the same in church. We want everything really quickly, but there's always a better way to get things done. A um, number of years ago, um, I knew that God's call was on my life, not just in business, but he was calling me into ministry. So as a young guy, um, I was 20 going on 21. And I had this challenge by the Holy Spirit to go to Bible college because I had all these dreams and all these godly dreams and visions about going to Bible college. And so I did the application and I got all this um, paperwork in order and I had all these really powerful reference letters from all sorts of people saying this guy should be in Bible college. And I'm thinking this is going to be a cert. And then I get this letter from this principal saying, Sir, um, thank you but no thank you. And I was mortified. And I said, why? And he said, well, we think you should be married for three years before you go to Bible college. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Um, I've got the call of God in my life. And this guy is saying, I should be married for three years before I get ma uh, get, get, get go to Bible college. God's divine sequencing was being stalled, or I felt it was being stalled. It was another 15 years later, when I was age 35, that I went to the Apostolic Bible College. We did three years. Chris and I did three years there. Um, why was it another 15 years later about this call of God and the training and the preparation for that, why was it being drawn out for so long? I'd, and the, God used the middle years in a powerful way through the corporate side, where I was learning about marketing and, and working with teams and goals and visions and budgets and all sorts of things. God was doing something... Yet there was this Bible college stuff which I wrestled with, uh, you know, aged, I don't know how old I was, I think I was about 35 when I went to Bible college. 
But God's sequencing and time was right for that. I'm married to Christine. You probably, you, you all know her now, but once upon a time she was blonde. <laughs> blonde grey now. But thing is, she had long hair, blonde hair down to here. When I first met her, she actually had hot pants. <laughs> Now, if you don't know what hot pants are, you'll have to Google that. Uh, just Google hot pants. Um, <laughs> what are you smiling about, Brian? <laughs> uh, the thing is, you know, that's how I met Christine. But it was nine years later that Chris and I got married. She rushed down the aisle and she said, of course I will. Get on with it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Thing is, nine years after knowing Chris, that we finally got married. Um, it was 24 years after I got a call into ministry that I got ordained. 24 long years where I was just trying to understand God's sequencing, God's preparation. But as we look at the Bible, you see cutting-edge people go through a process. And generally it's not instant. Where it happens instantly, you don't see longevity. But where there's a, a sense of long prep, God is doing something very unique behind the scenes. It says this in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 22. It says, when the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Quite a powerful scripture. I'll read that again. When the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. And so as we read the Bible and we look at key men and women, we see the sequencing take place. And so we look at a, a guy called Joseph. He's looking to God, he's listening to God, he gets these visions and dreams. You know, he says, God says to jo Joseph, your brothers and your parents will um, bow down, they'll kneel down before you. What a crazy vision, but that was the reality. Why did God choose Joseph? Ever wonder about that? Well, um, he was 30 years of age before he actually came into a position of leading the land in, in Egypt. Thirty whole years uh, had gone by before he became like the premier or the leading person within the nation of Egypt. Um, the first 17 years of his life, he was just the young fella in the family. He had to do all the dog, uh, dog duty, basically. He looking after all the, 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 the sheep and the goats, things like that. He was forgotten. He was outside, just treated as a lowly person in the house. But God was using that time to prepare him for the future. He had 13 years in Egypt as a, as a prisoner in Pontius' house and also the prison within Egypt. 13 whole years before he was actually recognized. And then he came to the fore and then he, at age 30 he was actually running the land. God used that preparation time to prepare him for leading. It was 41 years later before all his brothers and his father came back and knelt down before him in the nation of Egypt. Why was it so long? Well, I think God saw something within an individual. You know, as we look at Joseph's life, we can look back and read the scripture. We see, we see that he was honest and he was reliable. He recognized sin for what it was. And he responded accordingly. He didn't just respond to the sin situation. He responded to God. It wasn't his own self-gratification that he was responding to, his own pleasure. He was responding to the call of God. He saw a better way for things to happen. 
He didn't compromise his stand one iota. He was in sync with what the, the Lord was calling him to do. He also ran from sin. You know, his heart was right. We've got to learn to run from things, carnal things in our life, that can compromise who we are. Um, and that's why we uh, become cutting-edge people. If we look at Joseph, he was one of the younger brothers. I think Benjamin was the youngest. He was the second youngest. But we look at the eldest uh, sibling that he had, his eldest brother. It was Reuben. But Reuben lost his birthright. He disqualified himself simply because he had inappropriate relationships with his stepmother. He knew what was right, but something was going on, and it corrupted him, and it distorted him, and it disqualified him for his call that God had in his life. He had two older brothers. One was called Levi, and one was called Simeon. These guys killed defenseless people. Just backtracking a wee bit, um, their sister Diana was um, raped by the, this, this group of people, well, this person, but the, there was a compromising going on saying, well, you guys can marry with us if you want, but you're going to have to be circumcised. And so they thought, oh, yeah. And so these guys got circumcised. So Levi and Simeon went and basically butchered all these men after they'd been circumcised. You know, it, it wasn't a godly way of doing things. Judah, he broke, he broke uh, relationships with people. Um, he broke um, his promises with people. Uh, and he ended up sleeping with a prostitute. Um, wasn't well, it wasn't, it was his, his it wasn't really a prostitute. Someone was setting himself up as a prostitute to try and reinstate what they needed to do. But the thing is, all these elder brothers could have been and should have been in a position, but their lives were starting to be compromised. We can't afford to compromise our, our lifestyle in any way. But as we listen to what he's calling us to do, we can be on the cutting edge. So you look at divine sequencing. Joseph led a whole nation. The whole nation of Israel was saved because of his stance. That was a divine sequencing taking place. We look at Jesus Christ himself. It was 30 years of age before he officially came into ministry. But there was a series of things going on in his life. Obviously, one of the first things was circumcision as a young uh, infant. And then he went through water baptism. That was part of the preparation process. But there was this physical maturing going on, but also the spiritual maturing going on. His father, his earthly father, would have died when he was um, in his early 20s. Um, would have been heartbreaking, but it's all about character development. But then all of a sudden, his mother started to pray. And as, he, as the mother prayed, we see God start to move, and things were uh, being kindled and set apart. And we pick this up in the story of uh, the book of uh, John 2, and it's talking about the, the Cana wedding. And it says, the wine ran out during this, these festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, don't bring your concerns or problems to me. Uh, my time hasn't come yet. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you to do. You know, so here's the situation. Jesus, 30 years of age. His mother comes to him and says, hey, do something, do something. And Jesus realizes his time hadn't fully come to maturity yet. Then all of a sudden, the request, the prayers of his mother released him and triggered him into his ministry. But I just think when you look at Jesus' life, age 30, there would have been a sense of growing up. And he would have gone to the temple. He would have listened to the, to the, uh, the rabbis and the teachers. He would have been learning. He would have been studying the word of God. 
that his eyes would have been open to the world around him. And one of the things that he was getting really frustrated about, and one of the first things that Jesus did when he came into ministry, was clear the temple out. He cleaned the temple out because what was happening, people were bringing goats and sheep and cattle into the temple arena to be sacrificed. And there was nothing wrong with that. But what had actually happened, we had all these merchants setting up tables and they were bartering and they were trading and there was a bit of usury going on and people were being, uh, going into debt because of all these transactions that were going on. And Jesus was getting incredibly frustrated with what was going on in the house that wasn't appropriate and it was just bottled up within him. And so Jesus clears out this temple. He turned over the stalls and he kicked people out and he, and he made this whip um, and he, he basically was driving people out with this whip. But as you look at uh, and as you read what the commentators said, it took time for him to build the whip. He, he methodically put this whip together and he drove these people out. And I just think that Jesus didn't do that because of spite or anger. It was purely godly frustration that caused him to do what he needed to do. You know, in the old uh, sailing ship days, before we had steam and, and petrol and diesel, they had to use sails. And, and in the boats, they had a, a bosun, and the bosun was res responsible for um, the crew on the ship. And when something went wrong, they weren't obeying correctly, they would have to whip some of the, uh, the seamen. And what they would do is they would go and create a whip. It's called the cat of nine tails. And every time they went to lash a crew member, they didn't use the same one. They actually made a new whip. It's called the cat of nine tails. And you've heard the, the, the terminology, letting the cat out of the bag. Well, that's what happened. They had this bag where they put the cat of nine tails and they came and they lashed the person that was doing inappropriate things. Well, I just think that... Um, Sometimes the Lord lashes us. He doesn't do it vindictively. But there's a sense of correction and guidance. You know, we have statements like, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. We have problems in society today because people don't listen and obey the rules. And we start to become compromised. But what actually happened? Um, uh, next slide there. Uh, you, no, oh, so go back, back to the temple. Back to the temple. That's the one there. See the green area there? This is why Jesus was getting so frustrated. This outer court area was set apart for two reasons. It was the court of the Gentiles, that's the, um, the non-Hebrew people, and also, also called the court of the woman. And that's the place where people could come and learn about God. But what had actually happened, all the, the cattle, the sheep, the goats, the pigeons and doves were all there. That actually compromised what was actually happening in the house. And so Jesus got really ticked off. And that's why he turned over the, the, uh, the tables and he, he drove people out. Because he was wanting to rectify what was going wrong in the church at the time or the, the temple at the time. It was part of the process that Jesus was wanting to do. And I just think even as Jesus gave, grew in frustration about an injustice in the house, the Holy Spirit is giving individuals, men and women, a frustration, like a godly frustration. There's an injustice in the world that needs to be fixed. Sometimes it could be working with um, street people. Sometimes it could be working with solo mums or people that um, are working with, are living with drug lifestyles or whatever, or working in prisons. People get, are given a godly frustration for a reason to change their world. It's a, it's a missional thing. And so we realise that um, the world is corrupt. The church is the salt 
to fix these things up. And cutting-edge people are part of the answer. So we look at people like Noah, for example. Noah, he had to wait 500 years for his first son to be born. That's an awful long time, 500 years. And then as you look at his life, um, he obviously listened to God, and he said, okay, Noah, I want you to build the ark. It took him over 100 years to build this ark. You know, it was not just done overnight. Um, and then when the ark was full and all the animals were there, he had 40 days while the flood was going on. You know, talk about seasickness, you know. And then it took 164 days before they actually were released from the ark to go off and get out of the ark. I don't know about you, but um, in our household we've got two dogs. And um, I get to take them for a walk every day. Sometimes we drive them somewhere. But I tell you what, if you're in the car and one of them um, lets off, there's an aroma. It's not right. You know, it's like, you know, the air conditioning's not working, you've got an electric window, down the windows. You know, it's, it's tough. And that's just with one or two dogs in the car. These guys would have been in the ark for over a year, you know, where all this aroma and all the smell is going on. Dog owners have to go for a walk with their dogs. They get doggy bags and pick... That's just like, you know, we're picking up, picking up after one or two animals. He and Noah had a whole boat full of the things. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. But there was a process going on. But as Noah listened to God, what he did, he was caught up in the vanguard of his purposes. And Noah's lifestyle recalibrated the world as we know it. And we see the divine sequencing. There was a repositioning of righteousness in the world at that time. All the sin, all the, the evil was actually literally washed away. And God was recalibrating. We look at someone like Moses. Moses was hearing from God. But he didn't come into leading the nation overnight. The first 40 years of his life was on Pharaoh's court as a young man. And for those 40 years, he wasn't lying on a, on a couch eating uh, grapes every day. He wasn't getting pedicures and manicures. He was actually learning governance. He was learning to become a, an officer in the army, a general in the army. And he went off and he fought battles. You know, it was quite significant with, 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 with what he was doing in his own life. But then he had another 40 years in the backside of the desert looking after animals and sheep. It was arid and dry. And it was like 80 years before he actually came into all the miracles and the signs and the wonders. It was part of his preparation. But the thing is, Moses heard clearly from God. We read the first five books of the Bible. Those five books were written by, by, by this man, Moses. Clearly heard and wrote down incredibly detailed parts of the Bible. He heard from God. He knew what he should be doing. You know, and he's leading all these people from one place to the other. And then God says to him, okay, um, Moses, I want you to... Because um, the people were bleeding. They're crying out about not having enough water, enough things to eat and all that. And so he says, okay, strike the rock with your staff and water will come out. And he did. And all this water came and they, they, they obviously um, supplied water for the whole populace at the time. That was really good. But jump forward a few more years, God spoke to him again and said, don't just speak to the rock, uh, strike the rock, you've got to speak to the rock. But Moses thought he knew best and he defaulted back to the, the age-old way of what works. And that was basically um, striking the rock. And God said, no, 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 I wanted you to strike, uh, speak to the rock. 
Thing is, he didn't do what God called him to do. And because he didn't do what God called him to do, it disqualified him from engaging in the promised land. And that's going into the promised land. He never got to the, um, uh, to the promised land at all. And it says this in... Um, Deuterometry 20, 34 verse 1. Then Moses went up to Mount uh, Neob on the plains of Moab and he climbed to Pishlar Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilad to, as far as Dan and all the land of Nephthali and, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea. So here this Moses guy, he'd done all this 80 years and he led all these people for 40 more years. God was speaking to him but he never actually got into the promised land. You know, these people were in this holding pattern for 40-odd years, but Moses never got on to the promised land simply because he disobeyed God. Cutting-edge people, friends, will always listen and always obey. And I tell you what, in my life, all the signs and wonders normally take place, and the miracles I see happening in ministry is because you're listening and stepping out in God's timing. And as we come to an end this morning, I just sense that uh, there are a number of people that are in this holding pattern. It's like the plane, waiting for the plane to land, and it's like the time isn't quite yet, but it's close. And you're waiting for God's perfect time. Um, it's like you put a seed in the ground. That's not going to grow overnight. It takes a while, a while for the water, the temperature to do its thing before the, the, the plant will start to grow. And I just sense that there are many people in this holding, holding pattern this morning, and you just want um, that sort of recalibration so you know that you're in God's timing, perfect timing. Not getting ahead of God, not getting behind God, but getting in synchronization with the Holy Spirit. It's really important. There are people here today, I believe, and even listening online, um, you're in a holding pattern and you've considered the cross. You've considered Jesus, you've heard about him, you know about Jesus, but you've never really committed your heart and your life to the Lord of Lords. You know that if you were to die today, you'd be separated from Christ. You'd be separated with fallen angels and people that don't align themselves with Jesus Christ. You won't have eternal life in heaven. You're in this holding pattern. And quite often you thought about Christianity, but you've been afraid basically to land. But I think this morning, or tonight if you're watching online, this is going to be your time to be able to connect with God, to get recalibrated so that you can be a cutting edge uh, individual like these men and women all the way through the Bible as they align themselves with God's purpose in his life. I wonder if we could just um, shut our eyes this morning, just bow our heads. You know, the most important decision ever in life is an eternal one, and that's actually realigning and committing yourself to Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you end up being separated from your creator. And you'll go to a place of separation from him, which isn't really designed for you. It was designed for people that abdicate and uh, reject God. Well, this morning, if you're here and you'd like to give your heart to the Lord, we're probably mostly Christians, but if you're not, I don't want to miss the moment by uh, not giving you the chance to be able to stop orbiting, going round and round, and actually land, as it were, uh, around the cross. So if that's you this morning, can you just quickly pop up your hand so I can see you? And we're probably going to be mostly Christians this morning. I'm just looking around. And even online this morning, I just sense that there are people that are tuning in. Um, you know, that's why you're looking this morning. You've been looking online and uh, you've been thinking about Christianity. You've heard 
stories and you've heard uh, your friends give their heart to, to the Lord. You haven't yet, but uh, you've always had these excuses. Well, this morning, this could be your chance to be able to get it right with the Lord. So this morning, we're just going to pray.